welcome episode number 65 of the Baltimore Live Podcast. My name is Audie Elmore. Happy to have you here as we enter a Thanksgiving week. And uh, I'll be quite honest with you, this is a tough episode to record. There's a lot going on. I don't feel good about it. The Bengals have lost Joe Burrow for the entire season. Mo Egger of Cincinnati's ESPN 1530 will join us to talk about that and uh, what that means for the Bengals going forward. The college football playoff rankings get announced on Tuesday night. You might, you might get a bonus episode breaking down the college football rankings, the very first ones this year. Uh, those were uh, were dropped last night, probably as you're listening to this. You may get another episode today, so keep your eyes, ears, and uh, everything else open for that. Like I said, Mo Egger is going to join us. By the way, if you don't already, download the Thrive Fantasy app. Use promo code Adi when you sign up. Deposit $20. They'll instantly match it. Anything above $20, they will match it. And uh, you can play some prop bets in uh, NFL this weekend. Definitely check that out. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how I feel. I kind of feel terrible, to be quite honest with you. Ever since the 11.35 mark in the third quarter on Sunday of the Bengals and the Washington football team, I, uh, I've felt sick. I have felt sick. I feel terrible for Joe Burrow. I feel terrible for the franchise. I feel terrible for the fans, for his family, uh, everything in between. And, and we'll get more into that with, with Mo Egger, but obviously it's just painful. It's just painful. And then on top of that, if things couldn't get any worse, Elise Jesse from Sports Illustrated and All Bengals released a report on Tuesday morning saying that uh, the culture inside the Bengals is toxic. There's going to be a lot of issues moving forward, basically, with the way Zach Taylor and his staff handles things, with Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator, with Jimmy Turner, the offensive line coach, which we knew they had background problems going in. So obviously that is a concern as we move forward through the end of the season. I don't anticipate them winning another game with Ryan Finley at quarterback, which, you know, as a, a franchise outlook is a good thing. And we'll talk about that with Mo as well. College football playoffs, like I said tonight, we will get into after Mo what else happened in week two of the, or week 12, excuse me, of the NFL. What the, is it week 12 already or is it week 11? I think it's week 11. I don't know. Everything, everything is running together as Thanksgiving bears down upon us. So I'm a little scared, a little scared about all that, but hey, um, College basketball is in a tizzy right now as teams all over the country are canceling their programs, their games, everything because of COVID-19 as the spike continues. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about that, go back and check out my episode with Dr. Sayed Tabatabai uh, that I posted a couple of weeks ago. He will get you educated on that situation. Uh, what else is there? What else is there? Baseball free agency is ramping up. The NBA draft happened. Um, I said I would break it down a little bit. Um, I just... I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. Myself and seemingly every other Chicago Bulls fan was was shocked by the number four overall pick, which was Patrick Williams out of Florida State. I, I go back and I look at the Bulls mentions and I see that there were some people before the draft saying, do the right thing and take Patrick Williams. I had never heard of the guy. Truth be told, I didn't follow it that closely. Um, but Arturis Karnasovas is the man in charge. Guard packs are gone. Billy Donovan is the new head coach, and maybe they know more than me because most people do when it comes to that. So the Bulls drafted him. Number one overall was Anthony Edwards, guard out of Georgia. Golden State took James Wyden, Wiseman, a center out of Memphis, number two. Clay Thompson, by the way, out for the season with an Achilles injury. That is a devastating blow. Charlotte took LaMelo Ball, uh, number three. And uh, that's an interesting one because his dad, LeVar, said he would beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. I'll take Mike Jordan in that game 100 times out of 100. Uh, Chicago, like I said, Patrick Williams. 
And Cleveland took Isaac Okoro, uh, number five overall. If you're wondering about Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin, the Dayton star, fell all the way to number eight. A little bit surprising, but he goes to the New York Knicks, which is pretty cool. It's a homecoming for Obi. He was born and raised. Uh, I don't know if he was raised in Brooklyn, but I know he grew up and spent some time in Brooklyn. His dad played some some street ball there when he was growing up. Really interesting uh, story on the Players' Tribune from Obi Toppin. Might talk about that with Mo a little bit, too. He's a big New York Knicks fan. So without further ado, it's what everybody wants to hear. Let's get to Mo Egger talking about Joe Burrow and his devastating season-ending injury on Sunday. Joining me now on the Ball Don't Lie podcast, you can hear him weekdays from 3 to 6 on Cincinnati's ESPN 1530. You can read his words on The Athletic. You can hear him pre- and post-game. You see basketball and football. He is Mo Egger. Mo, welcome. It's really good to be here. Do you mean that? Yeah, and here's why it's good to be here. I haven't had to move. Hmm. I haven't had to jump on a Zoom call to do this. Right. And no Skype. I I don't have to be on the—I can literally sit in the chair— Mm-hmm. that I sit in Monday through Friday. And so it's, you know, r- r- for me, it's all about convenience. Right. This is the most convenient podcast. I And it's not like, hey, can you join me at 9.30 at night? Right. Or 6 o'clock in the morning? 108 in the afternoon when I got to be here anyway. This is perfect. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm here to please. And and you, you, you say that you're a great podcast guest. Why is that? I don't think I'm a great. I don't think I'm a great anything. You know, you've tweeted it about fifteen times. Because I get asked to do a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. You know, you could you could see how this was going during the pandemic when we had the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Because content creators were getting really <laughs> creative in like March, April, May, yeah. and you could tell when they were all out of ideas because suddenly. I was on every podcast in America. <laughs> I was on every radio show. Oh, wait, okay, who else do we have? Eh, get that Mo guy. He could fill some time. So no, Fresh I, off of Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin this morning too, right? I was on with those guys this time. morning. Yeah, they were mad because I, I didn't have the uh, equipment to like do it like a, we call it a Comrex. Mm-hmm. I, and I own one of those, but I lent it to somebody. So they're like, oh, it really is going to be on the phone? It's like... Hey man, I don't have to come on your show. It's six thirty in the morning. I'm not up at that time. Like I, you know, it doesn't bother me. You can call somebody else. Convenience. No, we'll have you on. Well, okay. Uh, but yeah, I was on. I was on with those guys. It was fun. All right, we'll check that out. Let's get to the elephant in the room. Joe Burrow out for the season, done for the year. Hearts broken across the quote unquote Hootay Nation. Tell me, what was your initial reaction? How did you feel? Describe what you were feeling when the camera panned to Joe Burrow in pain. Um, nausea. Mm-hmm. Nausea. And, and it's it's hard because, you know, you I'm a fan and I have this job, which reflects fandom. But But there are times that you just want to be in your emotions. And Sunday was it. Like Sunday, I, I I I very rarely get asked to do a post game show or anything like that, but I used to have to to mm-hmm. do those things. I, I don't know that I would have been awful on the air. I would have been useless be, because, and you know, this is where maybe I should be more of a quote unquote journalist or media member or something. But <laughs> I, I, it was, it, it, I was sick to my stomach. Yeah. I, I, I felt bad for Joe Burrow. And I felt bad for his team, felt bad for us, felt bad for Bengals fans mm-hmm. in large part because that was that was the realization of our worst fear. But our worst fear was based on 
what we all suspected. This team isn't entirely equipped to be able to protect him. That, that doesn't mean that, that any one person's at fault. It, it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, find somebody to blame. It's not about blame. It, it, to me, it's if you watch Joe Burrow in the first half of the season, you often said to yourself or to somebody else, or maybe you put it on Twitter, God, at some point he's going to get killed. Yep. Um, fortunately, that didn't happen. But um, there's, there's nothing worse than when what you fear actually happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it, it, this is not the best way to this is not the best way to put it, but if you are if you suspect you're sick with something, and the doctor tells you, yeah, actually you have it, yeah, boy, the the, the sinking feeling has just got to be the worst. So it's a clumsy analogy, analogy, and it illustrates why I'm a terrible podcast guest. But <laughs> that that, I, that to me is what was so sobering. I felt I felt the same way, and and I've honestly kind of felt sick. Since then, uh, to be real honest, it's just because the the last several months, from the start of the season, game one, the final drive of the game, everybody knew, okay, yep, he's everything we expected him to be. He's the guy. He's the franchise quarterback for the first time since Carson Palmer. Yada, yada, yada. They have finally hit the nail on the head, and something positive has happened. And then to have that ripped away. Now, you've been very critical of Zach Taylor. Mm-hmm. I have been a Zach Taylor apologist, mm-hmm. and I'm running out of apologies for Zach Taylor. I'm not sure why I'm a Zach Taylor. I don't apologist. know that it's critical. I think it's skeptic. Yeah, I'm skeptic. I mean, I'm, I've been I've been skeptical of Zach Taylor before this game on Sunday. You said that you really needed to see something over the course of the last six games. Mm-hmm. Does Zach Taylor get a pass now? No. Or w- w- what do you see or what's your expectation for him down the stretch as we wrap up the season? Win football games. That, that doesn't change. Now, win as many football games? No. Mm-hmm. Win them w- perhaps with the same type of flair they maybe could have won them? No. But win football games. Like, it's it's problematic if you have a backup quarterback that that you have a reasonably decent-sized investment in. And and we're just going to say, forget those games, forget how he plays, chalk it up. They're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody gets a pass. Well, then if then why why is Ryan Finley on the team? Right. It, 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 it'd be one thing if he's like, we got to pull this dude off the practice squad. They chose to make him the backup quarterback. They could have signed a veteran this offseason. Mm-hmm. Somebody likes Ryan Finley. My guess is Zach Taylor likes Ryan Finley. My guess is Zach Taylor has a large say in Ryan Finley being the number two quarterback. You are judged on your decisions. Zach Taylor hitching himself to Ryan Finley tells me Zach Taylor thinks he can win some games with Ryan Finley. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. I think this this stretch will be a, a testament to the coaching staff. Yeah. What like what do you actually have? What can you accomplish with what you do have? And so you talked about winning football games and culture is a word that's been thrown around a lot in this city because that's what Zach keeps saying. Culture, culture, culture. We're building it. People are believing. Yada yada yada. And there's there's opinions on both sides that say that that's really not happening. There was a report today that came out and we'll talk about that in a second, but you know, do you feel like because last year everyone was kind of saying, okay, well, you know, you don't want them to go 0-16, but you do want them to get the first pick. There is a bit of a silver lining to this that they're not expected to win any more games. So where are you in in, in between 
wanting them to be a top three draft pick and wanting them to win games. Where does where do you fall on that? And where do you think the fan base falls? I think the last part of that question is is interesting. I, you know what I might do? I might just make that a poll question today. Mm. How about that on, yeah. on the Twitter, at MoEgger15. I might do that. Great Twitter, by the way. Yeah. Huh. Um, <laughs> so the winning culture thing Zach Taylor has talked about, is yeah. that something that actually matters? Is like I mean, He's talked about it nonstop. Winning right. culture, winning culture, winning culture. That's either a buzzword or it's something that matters. If it's a buzzword, yeah, lose out. Go get your draft pick. If it's something that actually matters, at some point, doesn't winning culture have to include uh, winning? Right? That would be correct. So th- the idea for this season, you know, they, they were not a playoff team. They were mm-hmm. never going to be a playoff team. If, if you thought this team was going to contend what? for something in this division, you were out of your mind. That but- has been – I'm sorry to interrupt, but that mm-hmm. has been my biggest pet peeve this entire season. Mm-hmm. I thought for some reason – the the fan base was so enamored with these these high expectations, yeah, and it never made sense to me. It it it, it has driven me nuts all year. I've I've ragged about it on every single podcast because it feels like you're going to be so disappointed with this season, no matter what, because you expect them to be something they're not. Yeah, you know, I, I think what that was. I, there's I, we always joke about this on on the radio show. There, there's always this kind of midsummer surge of optimism. I don't care how bad the team is supposed to be. After months and months and months and months of us saying how bad they're going to be, you know, right before camp, there's always this, well, you know. Yeah. Boy, if they can keep this guy healthy. And the, I mean, we had that last year. They went 2 and 14. They were terrible. So I, <laughs> I think you had the burrow excitement and then the the natural just surge of pre-camp optimism. Plus, they signed a bunch of dudes. They right. did things they didn't do. I don't think they had a chance to really compete for anything meaningful, but clearly the the design this offseason was for the Bengals to take a step in the win-loss department, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly. You don't spend $160 million in free agency if you're content going 2-14 and 14 again. And I do think they're better. I do think they're a better football team. I think team. they would yes. destroy the 2019 team. I, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think they're a better team, but but it, but at some point, at some point, a coaching staff has to start winning football games mm-hmm. for anybody to believe that they're worth moving forward with. And I just I feel like for for the sake of you know I know you're going to ask about Elise Jesse's thing. Um, I've I've got to think I got to think for the sake of of Zach Taylor maintaining credibility with his players, they need to start winning football games. I think I got to think for the, for the sake of selling tickets next season, assuming they're going to be able to. It'd be nice to win football games. At some point, you have to pull yourself out of this just abyss of being at the bottom of the NFL and the whole tank talk. Like, I'll admit, I rooted against him against Miami mm-hmm. last year. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what this season was supposed to be about. I don't know why that has to change. Look, they're going to get a good pick. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably not going to finish with more than more than five wins. And that might be an unreasonable expectation. So I want to see players develop. You know, I, I want to see guys who are going to be here next year grow into roles. I want to feel better about their roster next season. Chances are I'll I'll do that if they post some victories. By the way, the Ryan Finley thing. The If Ryan Finley is as bad as he was last year, then guess what the Bengals are going to need? A backup quarterback. A backup quarterback 
maybe another backup quarterback mm-hmm. if Joe Burrow can't go and a healthy Joe Burrow. I'd like to see they I'd like to see Ryan Finley improve enough that I can go, yeah, you know what? He's an AJ McCarron. You could right. put him in the game and feel okay. Well, if if he does that, chances are, you know, they're at least in games with a chance to win them. So I I want to see them win football games. I think I think this franchise, the idea to me was to graduate to a point where winning mattered. Winning didn't matter last year. Mm-hmm. Supposed to this year, and it still should. Joined by Mo Egger, Cincinnati's ESPN 1530. You brought up Elise Jesse's piece. She writes for All Bengals Sports Illustrated. And she wrote a piece this morning basically saying that the, the Bengals have a toxic culture. It starts with Zach Taylor. It starts with Jim Turner. It starts with Lou Anarumo. That the, the three of them have been tr- not transparent. They've been poor communicators. Players are fearful of, of speaking up in lieu of not getting playing time and all sorts of, of different things. And I tweeted it out. You can check it out on my Twitter at Audie Elmore. What did you make of, of that piece? Um, well, first of all, uh, I'll, I'll say this. I know Elise well. Mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of the work she does. Um, you know, she's got reporting chops. She's not some rando on Twitter. I mean, you know, she's she's put her name on that. Um, and so I, I, I believe the reporting. But it, it, aren't those things? Number one, I, I don't think there's anything really revelatory. Is that the right word? Revealing. Sure. I try to get too fancy. Yeah, you did. I don't think there's anything really that revealing, right? Defensive coordinator uses salty language. He's always pissed off. Well, they never win. <laughs> and he and his defense is terrible. Right. So um, I think it's more – well, number two, they're a bad team. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever written a piece about how good the culture is on a, on a terrible team Right. that's consistently not in the playoffs? I mean, you know, I I remember the 90s very, very well. (laughs) They were awful every year. Um, I don't remember the, you know what, Dave Shula went 3-13 and again, but I'll tell you what, the locker room culture, fantastic. Boy, players just thrilled. No, when the Bengals have been good, yeah, I'm I'm not reading pieces about how bad the locker room is. I promise you this. If if somehow they were to figure out a way to win, like, five of their last six games, Mm -hmm. you know what the stories are going to be? And and probably justifiably so. God, what a great job done by Zach Taylor. Mm-hmm. Kept the team together, rallied the troops. I and mean, that's what we were saying two weeks ago yeah, when they beat the Tennessee they, Titans. They, boy, they were motivated. They had a chip on their shoulder. Those are the stories that are written when a team is winning. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of stories that are written when a team is losing. I think what would be interesting, at least we'll never do this, nor should she, but I, I think it would be interesting to find out where she's getting this from and what does that say? Is that coming from a coach? Boy, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Is it coming from a player who's been here for a while but is probably on their way out? Okay. Is that coming from somebody who's a cornerstone of this franchise moving forward? That's a problem. So I think if you're the Bengals, I don't know how you do this, but you you, you kind of got to figure out where the leak is coming from. You know, if if that's a dude, if it's a car, let's say it's from Carlos Dunlap. Well, who cares? He's not here anymore, mm-hmm. right? Um. If it's coming from a guy who's like in his second season and the Bengals go, hey, this is this is a dude who's a big part of what we're doing, then you've got an issue. If it's coming right. from somebody on the staff, then I think you've got an issue. But I, I read that and went, yeah, they're 2-7-1. and one. Yeah. Right? These are the kind of stories that come from teams that are 2-7-1. and one. These are the kind of stories that come from places how, where how you much, never win. How much of it do you think is a few guys – and how much of it is a, 
the whole team. Because I get the feeling, and I have my theories on on where that leak is myself, but that's not for this podcast. But likewise, um, you know, is that do you see it as a few guys? Do you do you really think it's the whole locker room? Because I don't I don't see it from what from what I understand and from people I've talked to. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's as bad probably as that was made it seem. I don't think it ever is. Yeah, I I I don't think. You know, I've I've worked here for 23 years, mm-hmm. and there have been times um, that I thought, God, the the culture here could be better. <laughs> you know, there yeah. there have been times that's usually reflective of maybe two or three people. Yep, a, a malcontent, an unhappy employee, a bad manager. Um, I've you know, I, I've I've talked with people who've worked at other places. Not that you could always compare. A typical workplace to a football team, but oh, you know what? Things aren't good there. And then you you find out like the majority of people are okay. They're doing their jobs. Yeah, they have their doubts about things, but it's always one or two unhappy people. By the way, those people might have every reason to be unhappy. I, I tend to think that that's what's happening there. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, I mean, there's a part of me that goes, they should be unhappy. They're never winning. Yep. Right. I mean, like, and again, th- this is no attack on the reporting at all. But if 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 I read a story today about how, you know what, they're having a blast down there, and uh, you know they're just having a, and Lou Anarumo's this jovial jokester, I'd go, well, that's a know, problem. Maybe somebody should be a hard. And then again, it's, it's not excusing what's ha- right. again. All that matters to me is the wins and losses. But with the with the lack of wins, to me, there ends up being sort of this natural progression where um, eventually things come out about how bad things are. And mm-hmm. and let's face it, we've talked about whether or not Zach Taylor is losing the team for a while now. I don't know that he is, and I think one of the, one of the many unfortunate things about the way the team is covered now is you know nobody can go in the locker room, yep. so you know you can't talk with folks who are there all the time. But um, would it would it surprise you any bad team in any sport? Would it surprise you to find out that there was communication issues, uh, that there was players questioning the coaches, leadership gaps? Those things tend to be kind of reflective of losing and then it becomes kind of a chicken or the egg thing is the team losing because the coaches have issues communicating uh, or are the coaches having a hard time being on the same page with the players because the team stinks i don't know the answer to that right but i kind of read that and went look i always think it's interesting when the curtain gets pulled back i i, I love i love that stuff well, i think we all do we want to yeah. what is it like behind the scenes but I didn't real read that and go, oh man, they've got a problem. <laughs> I think their problem is they're two seven and one. I think their problem is they haven't had a winning season in five years. I think the problem is Zach Taylor hasn't won any games. Uh, the the other stuff I think just sort of goes away or gets fixed if suddenly they start winning games. And again, I come back to what I said before: if this team were to somehow go on a roll where without Joe Burrow and maybe without Joe Mixon the rest of the season. They they win some games and they hell they pull off an upset of the Steelers. You know what? Know what we're not going to be reading about? Lou Anarumo dropping f bombs and Zach. I mean, you're just not going to read it. They're going to say, well, you know, look, good riddance, Carlos Dunlap, and how how about how they they really pulled together and you know, um, I you know, Houston kind of dealt with that, right? right? Things fell apart the the you know this season under Bill O'Brien, and then all these stories coming out of Houston. Well. I guarantee you if they don't blow that lead against the Kansas City Chiefs last year in that game they should have won, nobody's writing about how yep. Bill O'Brien. I, I've I've seen it with college basketball programs where 
and I, I remember, I remember this distinctly. Um, <laughs> in 1995, I was uh, zero years old. The UC Bearcats had, you know, they they were sort of uh, moving from they had gone to the Final Four in '92, gone to the Elite Eight in '93, and then all those guys go away at the end of the '93 season. '94, awesome freshman class, Antonio Wingfield. He leaves after a season. Now Danny Fortson comes in. And there were some growing pains. And that 95 year, they, they lost some games they maybe shouldn't have. Still had a team that went to the NCAA tournament, made the second round, won a conference tournament championship. But I remember I was a senior in high school who worshipped Bob Huggins. And suddenly <laughs> you would read these stories of like, oh, you know what? The practices are chaotic and, you know, uh, parents are questioning the coach. And I'm like, oh, wow. What? Bob Huggins was the exact same coach he was in 1992. It wasn't that long ago. Just mm-hmm. – you know, when you lose, there starts to be some some cracks. And then the next season, they had a great year. They lost four games, I think, all five games if you if you count the tournament. Five games all year long. They go to the Elite Eight, had a great year. Nothing like that written. So I, I just I take those things with grains of salt and go, all you gotta do is start winning games and those stories go away. So you you earlier mentioned blame. And it's one thing that we like to do in this business is assign blame. And you wrote a piece in The Athletic that you could blame this person, this person, this person, and this person. They weren't on the field, but they played a role. Mm-hmm. Does anyone – does the blame fall squarely on anyone to you? Or, or should we care who is blamed for Burroughs' injury, for where we're at now, for the quote-unquote culture, for the toxic – is there someone to blame? Should we be blaming someone? I, I, I think it's an organizational thing. And look, I, I don't love the this happened, let's blame someone. Right. That's knee jerk. We all do it. I'm I've been guilty of that. Mm-hmm. We all do it. T- to me, it's it's like this again. I'll, I'll use a, a clumsy analogy. Thank you. If an electrician, if somebody who knew a lot about electricity came into your house and said, "Man, this wiring's bad. You got to fix the wiring. You got to fix the wiring, or your house could catch fire." Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could fix the wiring. Still could catch fire. Houses catch fire sometimes. Right? Correct. But if somebody comes in and says, you got to fix that wiring, and you're like, yeah, it's cool. I'm not going to do anything, and it catches fire, a little bit different, right? Yep. Yeah. So you, you didn't fix the wiring. Um, so is it that surprising that the house caught fire? I'm not sure that's the, the best example. I mean, I, I could use others. But, I'm, I'm but, smelling what you're stepping right? in. Right. So I wrote about the Brent Spence Bridge. That was beautifully done. Though. Yeah, I don't know. But so so to me, that's what – so so where does that start? Well, it starts in the front office. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I defend this franchise when people say, well, they don't care about the offensive line. Well, wait a minute now. Um, they they took two offensive linemen first two picks 2015. They took an offensive lineman in 2018 when a lot of us were screaming, take Lamar Jackson. <laughs> they took an offensive lineman in 2019 when a lot of us were screaming, take Dwayne Haskins. Or trade up to get Devin Bush. They care. It just hasn't worked out. They traded down in the draft to get Cordy Glenn. It hasn't been lack of effort, but we don't right. care about your your effort. Uh, so you start there. They have, you know, the the offensive line issues have been persistent for years now. They had a good line in 2015, and then since then, um, it, it's been a deficiency. Every single offseason, you go, okay, what are some of the bigger team needs? Offensive line. And you add to it the Whitworth thing. And the Whitworth thing wasn't being cheap. They They just... Honestly, well, I think you could say to an extent it was being cheap. I don't think it was being cheap as much as was a miscalculation. Yeah, and I I give them 
I give him a pass in a vacuum for letting Andrew Whitworth go mm-hmm. because Andrew Whitworth is was on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week because he's defied the odds. Yeah, bit he's, of an anomaly. Yeah, so they they made the same wager. I think a lot of teams would. Hey, uh, uh, you want this kind of money when you're probably not going to be the player you used to be? We're not going to do that. Andrew Whitworth, to his credit, has defied the odds. What I do hold them accountable for is the inability to replace him, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Bengals let Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu get away, but not too soon or not not too long after that, they drafted Tyler Boyd. Well, nobody was talking about Marvin Jones anymore. They replaced yeah. him. Hey, yeah. we got a good number two wide receiver, right? Uh, that's how it's supposed to work. It it didn't. So I start with just the front office, and and to me, that's that you know the the head of that is Duke Tobin. Yep, that's at least what the Bengals want you to believe, and I do <laughs> believe it. And then, um, okay, Zach Taylor, you emphatically stood on the table for Jim Turner. Jim Turner. Uh, has emphatically stood on the table for offensive linemen who haven't panned out. Yep. Uh, Jim Turner is tasked with coaching this group up. It hasn't happened. So you have to examine that. It's. Did you happen to see Billy Price like the tweet this week? I did. That uh, basically said the Bengals should throw all their money towards redoing the offensive line and getting a new offensive line coach. Right. So, you know, and, and then the decision-making this year, the, their, their free agency uh, maneuvers – haven't paid off. Some of that so, is not their fault. But, hey, uh, you're about to draft your franchise quarterback. You're going to spend a lot of money. Might it make sense to to spend it on somebody besides a backup guard? And so, Xavier Suofilo. So a couple weeks ago, somebody asked Burrow, I think it was actually going into this week, aside from wins and losses, how do you define success through the through the rest of the year? I'm going to ask you the same question. Aside from wins and losses, because you've you've answered that question already, what do you need to see between January and August that will at least make you feel good a little bit about the team going into the season? I, I think it's almost hard to define. Mm-hmm. I just think you'll know. Because right? they tried, and you felt good about them trying in the offseason. Yeah, I, I just I feel like those of us who are still paying attention will just kind of know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not an expert on anything. And, you know, I defer to people who know a lot more about X's and O's and scouting and personnel, but I trust my eyes. I I know what a football team looks like when it's well coached, when it's progressing, when guys are getting better. I'm not an expert on quarterback play, but I could watch Joe Burrow game one to game eight and go, yep, that guy's making progress. It's different. I, it's I different. could see it. So <clears throat> I, I think it's I think it's hard to, you know, put a concrete, you know, word or you know, I just I feel like at the end of the year, we will have watched these last six games and go, yeah, you know what? Uh, they 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 made some strides. You know, the, the quarterback uncertainty with, with Burrow's injury mm-hmm. obviously just adds dimensions to this that uh, none of us want to entertain. But I, I I feel like we'll we'll be able to, you know, look at this and go, all right, you know, Luke Fickle's first year at UC, they went four and eight. Mm-hmm. Um but but I I remember saying to people, look, I, I'm I'm not going to pretend that I, I I had them going and winning eleven games the next year, but I remember saying to people like, you know, I, I I watched every snap of this team. I was here for the Tuberville years. Like they're going in the right direction. Part of it's recruiting. You, you could follow mm-hmm. what was going on there, but 
you know what? The they're they're a little bit more disciplined. The players are in better shape. You could you could just you could if you if you watched it, you got it. People you, call me crazy, but I genuinely feel that way about the Bengals. All right, um, that's fine, but <laughs> it does need to be matched by wins and losses. Right. So right, year right. two, Luke Fickle. Hey man, four and eight's not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. And by the way, they were you know three of those games they probably could have lost, probably right. should have lost. Uh, they were you know really like six plays away from going one and eleven. And and I remember like all right year two it's college football man they got to get to six wins got to play in a bowl game well they they exceeded that um, that has to be matched by victories and the schedule is forgiving enough and I come back to what you know you and I were talking about before the Ryan Finley thing does not give Zach Taylor a pass if if they if they're so incapable of winning games without Ryan with Ryan Finley playing quarterback then why is he on the team right everybody expects there to be a drop off. But every every competent Bengals backup quarterback in my lifetime, I felt like you could put that guy in the game and be okay. You could put that guy in the game and maybe you're not going to win a bunch of them. And, and there's certainly going to be a drop-off, but, you know, he's reliable. He's going to give you a puncher's chance, especially against bad teams. Mm-hmm. Nobody expects Ryan Finley to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. But c- can he be put in a position to not screw it up against the New York Giants? I'd like to think so. Yeah. Uh and and if if it's look, we're just going to lose these games and forget about the wins and losses then organizationally and from a coaching standpoint, you have greatly erred in deciding Ryan Finley was going to be our guy. I mean, what if what if what happened to Joe Burrow against Washington happened against the Chargers? <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Which means Ryan Finley would have to be the quarterback for the next 15 and a half games. <laughs> well, that's why he's on the team. Yep. So, you know, the, the the last Bengals backup quarterback we spent a lot of time talking about, when A.J. McCarron played in the preseason in 2015, and he was really, really good, mm-hmm. and, you know, folks were trying to manufacture this scenario where he was going to be the starting quarterback. And I remember saying, look, I know you're going to get mad at me. You're going to say I'm a Dalton apologist. But, hey, A.J. McCarron's a pretty good backup. And folks took that as an insult, and I go, wait a minute. So the, the dude had never played a snap in the NFL before, hadn't gone through a training <laughs> camp practice. He's finally in, and he's performing okay. That's 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 the next step up. And and from that point forward, you could feel like, you know what, if they put him, if they have to use him, they're okay. What mm-hmm. happened at the end of the year? AJ McCarron didn't play great. He was terrible against Pittsburgh, <laughs> uh, but until the fourth quarter. Yes. But you felt like th- when he trotted out onto the field, when when Dalton got hurt, I remember saying like, "All right, first of all, the team's good enough, he, but they're, they're going to be fine. It's, it, it, he's not as good as Dalton. He never will be as good as Dalton. And by the way, that's been the case. Yep. Um. But all right, like it. it, it not all, all hope is not lost. Um. The coaching staff and the organization got it right because I remember often saying, like, we're trying to win a Super Bowl this year and A.J. McCarron hasn't gone through a practice yet, yet he's the plan B. <laughs> well, they got it right, and I give them credit for that, man. Yep. They they got it right. Now, it didn't work out. They didn't win a championship. They didn't win a playoff game. Have they gotten it right with Ryan Finley? If the answer is no, get rid of Ryan Finley, but also – that is an indictment against the people making the decisions, and Zach Taylor has to have a say in who his backup quarterback is, right? You would think. I would think.
Mo Egger, thank you so much. We could go another half hour, I'm sure. I didn't even get to talk to you about Obi Toppin or the first, Knicks. Uh, first half hour is free, and oh. then you have to start paying per minute. Oh, okay. Well, then I should get out of here because we're at 32 minutes. <laughs> Mo, thank you for joining the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Thanks for having me. I'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. You know what that sound means. We are going over the scores from NFL Week 11 here on the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for sitting through that ad break, and thank you for listening to me and Mo banter about the Burrow injury. Let's start with the Thursday night game, the Seattle Seahawks, 28-21 to over the Arizona Cardinals. They're 7-3. Arizona falls to 6-4. Seattle 10-1 on Thursday night since 2010. Titans and the Ravens, great game, went into overtime. Tennessee wins it 30-24 to on a Derrick Henry touchdown run. And uh, Tennessee now 7-3, the Ravens 6-4 and, and flailing. Lions at the Panthers. Lions did not play well. Panthers 20, Lions nothing. Carolina's 4-7. The Lions are 4-6. Carolina allowed zero points for the first time since 2015. Eagles at the Browns. The Browns win this one. They win another ugly game. This one 22-17. Cleveland's now 7-3. The Eagles 3-6-1 and in first place in the NFC East. We'll get to that in a moment. Cleveland's first home win against the Eagles since 1998. That's over 11,000 days, by the way. Patriots at the Texans. And uh, the, the Texans, they come away with a big win, 27-20. to 20. Romeo Cornell gets a, uh, the best of Bill Belichick, his former assistant there, uh, Belichick and Cornell, for a long time in New England. The Texans are 3-7. and seven, The Patriots are 4-6. and six. It's the first time they've been below four, 500 through 10 games since 2000. Packers at the Colts, another great game. This one in overtime, Rodrigo Blankenship, hot rod. Gets a 34-31 victory when he boots a 39-yard field goal in overtime to give the Colts a win. Both teams 7-3. Steelers at the Jags. Steelers remain undefeated 10-0 with a 27-3 curb stomping in Jacksonville. Falcons at Saints. Big story of the day. Taysom Hill starting in place of an injured Drew Brees. And Jameis Winston did not get the start. Didn't matter. Saints 24, Falcons 9. Atlanta's 3-7. The Saints are 8-2. Michael Thomas has the most receptions in the first five seasons in NFL history. Go Bucks. Bengals and the Washington football team, 20-9. Washington Bengals are 0-18-1 in their last 19 road games. By the way, Zach Taylor has been the head coach for uh, the majority of those. Cowboys at the Vikings. Minnesota falls in a game they really had to have to keep their hopes alive. Dallas wins it. They're 3-7, 31-28 the final score. Dalton Schultz for the Cowboys. A go-ahead two-yard receiving touchdown with 137 remaining. Andy Dalton. Leads a game-winning drive. Sunday night football, great game. Chiefs 35, Raiders 31. Kansas City now 30-4 against the AFC West since 2015. The Vegas Raiders fall to 6-4. I thought the Raiders were the better team all night, but Kansas City has Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and they did what they do on the final drive of the game. Another surprising one, Denver over the Miami Dolphins 20-13. Miami falls to 6-4. The Broncos are now 4-6. They're 3-0 against the AFC East this season, but 1-6 obviously against everybody else to a tag of Iloa pooled in this game for poor performance. Not poor performance, Justin Herbert. He wins over the uh, New York Jets, who are terrible. I might be able to get a couple first downs on them. The Chargers are 3-7 and seven after a 34-28 victory. The Jets are 0-10. Keenan Allen had 16 receptions. That is a franchise record. And Monday night football on Monday night, clearly, obviously, Rams 27, Buccaneers 24. Tom Brady looked terrible, threw two picks to former Buckeye Jordan Fuller because he just can't beat Michigan. Uh, Tampa 7-4, the Rams 7-3. They had two receivers with 11 or more receptions and 130-plus yards. That's Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. 
All right. Thank you for listening through that and uh, the minor technical delay. You may you, you may have heard it. You may not have. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. But let's take a look at the playoff picture as we are now through 11 weeks with just five weeks remaining, six weeks remaining, excuse me. The number one overall seed in the AFC, uh, as you may have guessed, the 10-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. They would have a first-round bye if the playoffs started today. Kansas City is second. They're 9-1. The Buffalo Bills are 7-3. They're the third seed. The number four seed are the Indianapolis Colts. They're also 7-3, as are the Titans and Browns, who make up seeds number five and number six. The Raiders are the seventh seed, last team in at the moment, at 6-4. The matchup would be, if the, if the playoffs started today... Sign me up for this. The number seven Raiders at the number two Chiefs, the number six Browns at the number three Bills, and the number five Titans at the number four Colts. Those are some juicy games. Also in the hunt still in the AFC are the Ravens at six and four. They are the first team looking out at the moment, and outside looking in, I should say, and the Dolphins also six and four. Over to the NFC side of things, the Saints are eight and two. They're the number one overall seed. They would have a bye. The number two seed are the Los Angeles Rams. They are seven and three. The Packers are the three seed also at seven and three. Here's an interesting one. The fourth seed, they would host a playoff game, the three, six and one Philadelphia Eagles. Seahawks are the five seed. They're seven and three. The Buccaneers are seven and four. They are the six seed and the number seven Cardinals are six and four as well. Your matchup in the NFC would be the Cardinals at the Rams, interdivision matchup. The Buccaneers at the Packers, sign me up for Brady versus Rodgers. And uh, the Seahawks at the Eagles, which is ironic because the Seahawks got in with the losing record a few years ago. The Saints came to Seattle, and Seattle beat them. But uh, they would be going up against the Philadelphia Eagles, who would uh, almost certainly get in with a losing record. Also in the hunt in the NFC, the Chicago Bears, they're 5-5. Five and five. The Vikings and Lions and Niners are all 4-6. and six. They are also in the hunt. That basically wraps it up for me. I don't have much else to say. Remember, no matter what it is, and we saw it over and over again, actually this weekend in college football and the NFL, we're going to see it again soon with college basketball as well, that uh, ball don't lie. It never has. It never will. The ball don't lie gods will never deceive us. In the meantime, have fun, be safe, and uh, go Bucks. <laughs>